everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Friday episode for Week 16 of the 2024 NBA season. I'm Rose Carson. Welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show, whether you've been listening previously or you're a brand new listener to the podcast. Either way, uh, we just like to express our appreciation. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we've got a lot to cover today. Of course, last episode, yesterday, we focused purely on the trade deadline and all of the transactions um, that happened that didn't happen. Um, of course, today, since we didn't have a Wednesday episode, we got to kind of get caught up on uh, the last week, Monday through Thursday, uh, those games. We can't go super in-depth on everything, of course. Um, we're going to stick with five games to focus on like we normally would, um, but we'll still cover uh, very briefly the remaining games, and we're going to do it day day by day. We'll start with Monday the game or games we're focusing on from Monday um, real quick, cover the remaining games and then jump to Tuesday and go on that way. I think that's a little bit less confusing um, than ways we've done it in the past. Of course, we'll also cover our latest key news. So let's jump into that right now. Okay, we're starting on Monday night with the Cleveland Cavaliers hosting the Sacramento Kings with an opportunity to vault all the way up into the second spot in the Eastern Conference. It wasn't too long ago, um, a little more than a month ago, maybe about a month and a half ago, that the Cavs were hovering around the sixth spot loosely in the Eastern Conference. Uh, A quality team, but a team that was not one of the top tier teams. Um, But of course, they've been on such a hot streak lately. They've moved up combined with uh, the falling numbers in terms of the the wins for teams like the Bucks and the, uh, the 76ers. They're still winning teams, but they haven't been nearly as, uh, as hot as they were earlier in the season. So great opportunity for Cleveland, and boy, did they capitalize. Big win against a quality Kings team. Final score 136 to 110 for the Cavaliers, and they claimed that second spot in the East where they currently still stand. And they've built uh, a bit of a buffer. They have a two-game lead ahead of the third spot in the East. So they've – it's not even just a narrow claim of second. They have a a pretty strong foothold on second in the East at the moment with their sights set on the Cavs, seeing how close they can make that. Um, You know, the Cavs were just the better team in this game. They uh, built a double-digit lead in the second quarter and never really looked back. Um they controlled the game, you know, rebounding advantage, advantage, uh, advantage, distributing the ball, much better defensive numbers, um, less turnovers, better shooting percentage. They they controlled pretty much every facet of this game. Um, and again, Sacramento is a good team. So you got to give uh, Cleveland a lot of props for dominating a game against a team as good as Sacramento. As far as box score for the Kings, uh, Harrison Barnes led them with 22 points. They got 19 from De'Aaron Fox. Um, Damanis Sabonis, though, 12 points, 19 rebounds, and 15 assists. Um, despite the loss, still impressive. He tied Nikola Jokic uh, for league leaders this season in triple doubles or total triple doubles. So pretty phenomenal stuff. They got 18 off the bench from Malik Monk, 10 each from both Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter. Meanwhile, for the Cavs, they were led by Donovan Mitchell, as you might expect, 29 points, which is right about where he's been averaging uh, over their recent winning streak. 
or streaks, plural, um, five of 11 from three, 55% from the floor overall, very stellar. They got 22 points from Max Struess, uh, a quality offseason off addition, uh, rather. Jared Allen, 19.7 boards, two blocks, 17 off the bench from Karis LeVert. Um, and then they got double digits as well from Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, and Isaac Okoro. Uh, Mobley, also worth noting, had 14 rebounds, two steals, and a block. So, again, big win for Cleveland. We'll have a little bit more to talk about with them as well later on. Uh, as far as the other games for Monday night, Dallas went into Philadelphia and won 118 to 102, your final there. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers won in Charlotte against the Hornets, 124 to 118. Anthony Davis with his second triple double in uh, 11 games, and he had only had one other one in the previous 11 years of his career. Pretty interesting stat there. Um, that triple double, a big part of overcoming a career high 41 points from Miles Bridges. And uh, he wasn't done for the week. He's, he's still been active, as we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but still, good win for the Lakers there. The Golden State Warriors won in Brooklyn against the Nets, 109-98. to Kaminga with 28 points, 10 boards in that game. Uh, the Clippers beat the Hawks in Atlanta. James Harden with 30 points, 10 assists as the Clips win 149 to 144. And then finally, the Pelicans, big win at home against the Toronto Raptors, 138 to 100. Brandon Ingram with a, I believe, season high 41 points, um, but definitely a career high eight three pointers made. Very impressive game for him. That's your Monday night action. Then we jump to Tuesday. We have a couple games we're diving into from Tuesday night, starting with the Dallas Mavericks uh, going to Brooklyn to face the Nets. Kyrie's first game, uh, surprisingly, in Brooklyn, uh, I believe, since he had been uh, traded from the Nets last season. I guess not as surprising when you consider, you know, different conferences. They play each other less often, but still. Uh, Kyrie's return to Brooklyn and uh, victorious in his return. Final score, 119 to 107 for the Mavericks beating the Nets in Brooklyn at Barclays Center. Uh, big win. They had a 20-plus point lead at the beginning of the third. Uh, Nets cut it a little closer. They cut it within single digits a number of times, uh, more so in the fourth quarter. So, uh, you know, they, they kept it fairly competitive at the end, but uh, Dallas still able to come out on top uh, with better better shooting all around despite a, a struggle from the free throw line in this particular game. For the Nets, they were led by Mikhail Bridges, 28 points, 5 of 11 from 3, uh, 18 off the bench from Royce O'Neal, uh, one of his last games as a Brooklyn Net, of course, uh, 16 points. Eight boards, eight assists for Cam Thomas, uh, and then 10 as well for Jalen Wilson off the bench. Meanwhile, for the Mavericks, Kyrie led them in scoring, uh, again, in, an important game to him. 36 points, 6 of 10 from 3, 62% overall from the floor. And then Luka, 35 points, 18 rebounds, 9 assists with two steals and a block as well. Near triple-double with 18 boards at that guard spot. Uh, continues to impress this season. 12 for Josh Green, 14 off the bench from Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, yeah, big win. Uh, meaningful win for Irving from the Brooklyn, New Jersey kind of area, um, of course. And Dallas, a big week, some big wins, as well as, of course, a big trade deadline. So it's going to be interesting to see the Mavericks going forward. But for now, let's jump to the next game from Tuesday night that we're diving into. 
the Phoenix Suns winning at home against the Milwaukee Bucks, 114 to 106. A battle of uh, superstars, Kevin Durant versus Giannis Antetokounmpo, Lillard versus the backcourt of Booker and Beal. Uh, 13 lead changes in the game, most of those in the first half. In the third quarter, the Suns uh, held the lead most of the time, and then they built a, a stronger lead in the fourth, uh, double-digit lead uh, majority of that time to to seal the victory. So uh, credit to Phoenix there. Uh, as far as box scores are concerned for Milwaukee, they were led by Giannis, 34 points, 10 boards, 6 assists, very solid all-round game. Um, Leek Beasley, 22, 4 boards, 2 assists. Um, I did misspeak. Lillard did not play in this game, so certainly uh, part of the factor, but Beasley had a solid game, 6 of 14 from 3 um, as a, a secondary scorer in place of Lillard. Connaughton with 12, Jay Crowder with 10, Cameron Payne with 11. For the Suns, they were led by Devin Booker's 32 points. Uh, they got 28 points from Kevin Durant, who also had 10 rebounds, and then Bradley Beal, 25 points, 10 rebounds, 3 steals. Not to mention Yusuf Nurkic, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 2 steals. Three different teammates with 10 rebounds each, Durant, Nurkic, and Beal. Um, impressive stuff to see. Big win for the Suns, as we mentioned. Um, the Bucks continuing to slide a little bit, and that's a conversation point perhaps for Monday. Um, but in the meantime, let's jump to the remaining games from Tuesday. Uh, firstly, the Indiana Pacers won at home against the Houston Rockets. 132 to 129, overcoming a double double from Alperen Shingun. Uh, the New York Knicks won at home against the Memphis Grizzlies, 123 to 113. Dante DiVincenzo, 32 points in that game. Uh, the Miami Heat won at home against the Orlando Magic, 121 to 95. The Chicago Bulls won a thriller in overtime at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves, 129 to 123, your final score. The Bulls were down as many as 23 points in this game, uh, but big games from both Kobe White as well as DeMar DeRozan helped lead them to the victory against, again, a stout Timberwolves team. Uh, another surprise upset of a, a top West team, the Utah Jazz beat the Oklahoma City Thunder in Salt Lake City, 124 to 117. Larry Markinen, 33 points, 11 rebounds. So both the Thunder and Timberwolves lost, uh, which that particular night without the Clippers that even playing vaulted the Clippers into the top spot in the Western Conference. They've since fallen back down, uh, but still a testament to the, the great run the Clippers have had in uh, recent months. Uh, so those are your remaining games from Tuesday. Let's jump to Wednesday. And one game we're focusing on from that slate of games is the New Orleans Pelicans winning in Los Angeles against those aforementioned Clippers, 117 to 106. Again, Clippers have been stellar. So it's a very impressive win for the Pelicans on the road. A Pelicans team that has been more up than down. Um, there's some concerns and some doubts as far as Zion's performance this particular season. Um as well as the health question, which has been a big factor for the Pelicans in recent seasons, but very impressive. They um, never trailed in this game. The game was tied a couple times in the first, uh, but they led for pretty much the whole game. Um, it was competitive. It was close, but the Pelicans were just a little bit better of a team that particular night. For the Clippers, they were led by James Harden, 19 points, 8 boards, 5 assists, 18 off the bench from Norman Powell, and then 15 for Kawhi Leonard. They also got 12 from Zubats, 11 from Plumlee. Um, rough night shooting for, for Paul George, 3 of 15 from the floor. Um, not a lot of offense from Russell Westbrook as well. As a team, they didn't shoot 
it's too bad from the floor, but George and, and Westbrook, especially losing that offense, um, perhaps a big factor. For the Pelicans, meanwhile, they were led by C.J. McCollum, 25 points in this game, 5 of 11 from 3. Uh, Zion Williamson had 21 points, 10 assists, with two uh, two blocks and a steal. Only three rebounds. Again, that's kind of the, the question mark with Zion, but still uh, effective game. Uh, they got 15 from Brandon Ingram uh, with eight boards, six assists, 13 points from both Herb Jones uh, as well as Trey Murphy the third. Murphy coming off the bench in this case. And then 10 points, four assists, uh, sorry, four rebounds, four steals, and two blocks for Dyson Daniels. Four steals, two blocks. Very impressive uh, total defensive stats there. And again, New Orleans has depth to make up for uh, not as big scoring nights. Of course, so does Los Angeles. But um, the Pelicans are going to be an interesting team. Um, Looking at things as we record this, as far as standings are concerned, Pelicans are sixth in the Western Conference, um, just below Phoenix and just ahead of Sacramento. So I'm not sure if they'll have an opportunity to move much higher or much lower in those standings. Uh, where it stands, they're going to be a very intriguing first-round matchup. I don't know that they would quite be, you know, oh, this is a team that's primed to upset a higher seed. Um, but they have a lot of pieces. And again, I like Willie Green as a lot of co- uh, a lot as a coach. So I think that's going to be interesting uh, to watch the Pelicans uh, come playoff time. Your remaining games from Wednesday night, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers won in Washington against the Wizards, 114 to 106. They keep the ball rolling there. Mitchell with 40 in that game. The Toronto Raptors won in Charlotte against the Hornets, 123 to 117. Again, uh, the Hornets with a tough loss after another career high from Miles Bridges, this time 45 points, continuing to raise that number. He also had eight boards seven assists. He's been hugely impressive. We'll have a little more to talk about with him later on as well. Uh, the Miami Heat won at home against the San Antonio Spurs, 116-104. to 104. Uh, Jimmy Butler with the triple-double in that game. The Boston Celtics beat the Atlanta Hawks in Boston, 125-117. to 117. The Golden State Warriors won in Philadelphia against the 76ers, 127-104. to 104. Andrew Wiggins with a double-double, 21 points, 10 boards. And then finally, the Detroit Pistons won in Sacramento against the Kings, 133-120. to 120. Uh, Sabonis with a double-double, 30 points, 12 boards. But Jaden Ivey, 37 points, 6 boards, 7 assists. Uh, he's really broken out for them in recent weeks. And a very impressive win for the Pistons against the Kings. Um, going to our final day Thursday, we're talking Pistons again because they got back-to-back wins for the first time since October when they were 2-1 and one before the lengthy losing streak. But they've been stringing together some nice wins. And um, especially with Cade Cunningham back healthy, I think that's a big boost for Detroit. Their morale especially, of course, um, but also their rebuilding effort. Of course, they were active at the trade deadline as well. Um, but yeah, Detroit wins in Portland this time around uh, in overtime, 128 to 122, down to the wire victory. Um, Portland had a huge lead in this game, leading by as many as 23 points in the third quarter. So even more impressive, a lot of moxie shown by Detroit to tie the game to go into overtime. Uh, and once they took the lead uh, partway through overtime, they never trailed after that point. So uh, big stuff. And again, they overcame a big game from the Trailblazers. And in particular, Jeremy Grant, he had a career high 49 points along with eight boards, six assists. Grant 
uh, he shot 18 of 20 from the free throw line. Um, sometimes he needs some of that to get those higher scoring games, but Grant still uh, a very underrated player. Um, the fact that he's with a Portland team that's not doing a lot this season um, kind of undermines the the level of player he is. Um, multi multifaceted player can impact uh, winning in a lot of ways. Alongside him, Anthony Simons had 29 points. Um, pretty solid game as well. Jabari Walker started at center, 17 points, 11 rebounds with two blocks. Uh, Tumani Kamara had 10 rebounds, nine points, and then uh, 12 points off the bench from the rookie Chris Murray. Meanwhile, for the Pistons, it was Jalen Duran this time around, 27 points, a season high, along with 22 rebounds, a new career high, and three blocks. Uh, hugely impressive game again for Duran. Um, I've been high on him for a little while. I'm just glad to see him uh, really starting to blossom more as Detroit is starting to turn the tide just a touch with a few more wins in uh, in recent weeks. Uh, Jaden Ivey, 26 points. Cade Cunningham, 23 points. They got 17 off the bench for Marcus Sasser, who also had 11 assists. He seems like uh, a pretty good uh, draft steal in the, the second round, I believe. A little bit of a gem found late. They also got 14 points from Stanley Umud. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. I apologize if I did not, but... Um, Shorter rotation for the Pistons, of course, because they were very active at the trade deadline, but still able to get the win um, against the Trailblazers team that had, um, they had some short, you know, they were short a lot of players as well. So um, I guess Detroit came out on top in a matchup of two teams that were short players uh, due to a variety of reasons, but still impressive back-to-back wins. Um, They are now, what is their record now? They are now eight and forty-three with a winning percentage of one five seven. Massive improvement from where they were. Of course, they still hold the worst record in the NBA, but not by much. Washington nine and forty-one. Detroit has closed that gap. They're only um, about a game and a half behind Washington in the Eastern Conference. So, uh, very interesting stuff as far as the remaining games from uh, Thursday night's action. The Orlando Magic won at home against the San Antonio Spurs, 127-111, to uh, with Franz Wagner scoring 34 points against Devin Vassell's 30 points. The Golden State Warriors won in Indiana against the Pacers, 131-109. to um, Steph Curry, 42 points in that game. Uh, 11 three-pointers contributing to those 42 points. Uh, just, again, a testament to how incredible he is as a shooter, a scorer, and really a player. Um, Excuse me. The Dallas Mavericks continued their winning ways on the road, this time in New York against the Knicks in the Garden. Final score, 122-108. to 108. Luka with 39 points, 11 assists against Josh Hart's triple-double for the Knicks. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers won yet again, this time in Brooklyn against the Nets, 118-95. to 95. Um this is Cleveland's eighth straight win and their 16th win in their last 17 games. Um, they've just been absolutely on fire over the last uh, month or so, even more. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves won in Milwaukee against the Bucks, 129 to 105. Um, another tough loss for Milwaukee against a top, uh, a top Western Conference team. Um, 
again, it's going to be a talking point uh, for sure on our Monday show with power rankings. Uh, the Chicago Bulls won in Memphis against the Grizzlies, 118-110. to DeMar DeRozan with 30 in that game, overcoming Gigi Jackson uh, with a new restructured contract. We'll get to that in a moment as well. But he had 27 points, uh, I believe, off the bench in that game. Uh, even more impressive to uh, put up those kind of points off the bench. Yes, off the bench. Um, the Phoenix Suns went at home against the Utah Jazz, 129-115. to uh, John Collins with a double-double, but Durant had 31 points in the game. And then finally, uh, maybe the most anticipated game of the night, or at least um, talked about game, uh, the Denver Nuggets won in Los Angeles against the Lakers, 114-106. to uh, Murray, 29 points, 11 assists. Uh, Anthony Davis, 32 points in the game. Bit of a spoiler, of course, for uh, the honoring of Kobe Bryant uh, that night, but Let's actually get into that. That's a great segue for um, our key news uh, as that took care of the rest of our games. Um, Yeah, that was our first news item. Of course, that was a big part of last night's game and last night's, um, you know, they wanted really to be a celebration, of course, of the the great career of one Kobe Bryant. Again, uh, we lost him too soon. Um, But February 8th of 2024, of course, written out, numerically 2824 um was slated as the day that they would unveil the first of three statues honoring uh Kobe Bryant uh, as well as Gianna Bryant um so the first of these statues that was unveiled last night uh is Kobe Bryant in his number 8 jersey with his hand uh kind of a number 1 symbol pointing up um as he walked off the court following his 81-point performance against the Toronto Raptors. Um, and again, that's the first of three statues. The next two, uh, the first of the the next two will be Kobe in the number 24 jersey. Um, a lot of speculation about what that pose will be. And then the third one will be Kobe with his daughter, Gianna. Uh, so they will honor her as well. So I think that's a great gesture. Um, I'm curious to see if they're all going to be grouped together, if these statues are going to be separate around um, kind of the campus of crypto.com arena. Um, but we'll see, uh, again, kind of a spoiler that the Lakers didn't come up with the win. They, they played very inspired, was able to tune into that game. Of course they did wear, um, Nike allowed them and the NBA allowed them to bring back the, um, Kobe Bryant tribute jerseys, um, that they wore, of course, for in, uh, I believe 2018 was when they wore them, uh, the first time, um, they brought him back for the title run in 2020, uh, following the, the initial passing of Kobe Bryant. And then they wore him again last night, uh, to honor him on that important night for them. So, uh, anyways, uh, great gesture for the Lakers there. We next have a, a lot of, uh, transactional notes, um, just some kind of aftermath type stuff and some, uh, consequences of the trade deadline. Firstly, as we alluded to, the Grizzlies restructured uh, Gigi Jackson, the seconds contract, the rookie, um, from a two-way deal to now a standard contract. He's played great. He's earned this um, four-year contract and three of those guaranteed. I assume that means fourth year is like a team option or something to that extent. Um, well-deserved. Also pretty well-deserved, the Sacramento Kings restructured uh, guard Keon Ellis's contract uh, 
reportedly a three-year deal. Um, so he gets bumped up from a two-way to a standard deal. To replace that, they signed guard Mason Jones to a two-way contract. So a couple moves for Sacramento. The Oklahoma City Thunder restructured guard Lindy Waters the third's contract uh, to a standard contract up from a two-way. So congratulations to him as well. Uh, the Miami Heat signed uh, guard Alondis Williams to a two-way deal. And then the Portland Trailblazers signed guard Ashton Hagens to a 10-day contract uh, to fill out some of those remaining roster spots. There's still a lot of signings that are probably going to happen over the next few days, especially with the buyout market. Um, and a lot of players added to that buyout market um, that we didn't initially report. The Grizzlies waived uh, big man Shemezi Metu. The Jazz waived forward Kevin Knox a second. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets waived both uh, guard Jordan Goodwin and forward Thaddeus Young. And then finally, the Charlotte Hornets waived guard Frank Nielkina and guard Ish Smith. Um, so all those players joined the free agent pool along with the recent buyouts and any other free agents that were on the market. So it'll be an interesting next few weeks to see how contenders try and, you know, give a little bit of an extra boost to their rosters with um, those types of transactions. Uh, the next we have a couple injury updates. Uh, firstly, for the Philadelphia 76ers, center Joel Embiid will be reevaluated in four weeks following a left meniscus procedure. Again, no details on that exact procedure, but um, the timeline's a little more clear now. Um, of course, this pretty much guarantees he will not win uh, or you know be in the com- conversation for MVP. All NBA, all of those awards again because of the new stipulation of minimum 65 games played. Um, it's tough. Um, I think at the end, if he's going to miss extended time, we'll look back and say, well, you know, excuse me, in the moment it seemed wrong or it seemed, you know, very controversial, but maybe it worked out in this particular case because he missed extended games. And a guy who played more games uh, ended up fitting the bill for the award, something to that extent. Um, regardless, we're, of course, wishing him the best as he works to recover from that injury. The reigning MVP, uh, we'd like to see him back, get back on the floor as soon as possible. Um, another injury update for the New York Knicks, uh, forward OG Ananobi to miss at least three weeks after surgery to remove a loose bone fragment in his right elbow. Um, but tough for the Knicks, especially where they've already been without the services of Julius Randle. Um, their recent acquisitions in Bogdanovich and Burks will help ease the loss of Ananobi a little bit. Also, the upcoming All-Star Weekend will ease that as well. So um, still wishing him the best as he works to recover from that. Um, for the Knicks, if they can get Randle and Ananobi back with plenty of time before the end of the regular season, they could, you know, start to get primed for a, a hopeful deep playoff run. Um, but we'll see what happens there for the Chicago bulls uh, center. Andre Drummond was fined $15,000 for making an inappropriate gesture on the playing court. Didn't have a chance to see what the gesture was. Um, there's a short list of guesses, um, but I guess that's that um, an NBA specific note. Um, they are reportedly partnering with Emirates, uh, the airline as the new global airline partner of the NBA. And it will mean a couple of things. Firstly, they'll be the new namesake for the NBA cup. Of course, the uh, trophy for the in-season tournament. Um, 
It'll be the Emirates NBA Cup. And they will also be the first referee jersey patch uh, partner of the NBA. So referee jerseys from uh, the All-Star Week uh, onward, or All-Star Game onward, rather, will have the Emirates logo on the referee jersey. Um, a couple of tough items, firstly, for the Miami Heat. Haywood Highsmith cited for careless driving after a late-night crash following Tuesday's game against Orlando. Um was driving home, and um, the reports uh, were, were pretty clear. If you want to look up more details, uh, you can. It's a pretty sad uh, story. There, there was one man in particular injured, uh, the man that was struck by uh, a Highsmith's car, uh, reportedly needed a partial amputation uh, of a leg and had other fractures. Um, it was, I imagine it's been a very uh, tough time for for highsmith as well as this man both obviously adversely affected of course the man uh, much more long-term affected and much more physically impacted uh but highsmith um you know was just going slightly over the speed limit it was a, a bit of a darker road and the man was trying to move another car that was um the car wasn't able to move he was trying to help get it out of the way highsmith didn't quite see him struck him as soon as it happened highsmith got out of his car attended to the man tried to help him in any way he could um so it's, it's just tough you know and he, of course he did not play in the following game he's been away for personal reasons um i think their next upcoming game would be a sunday perhaps we'll see if he plays then um wishing all people involved the best as they try to move on from a, a, a tough situation and and heal and and uh you know, find find peace. I guess with uh, it, I don't know, just just tough situation. Um, another very tough situation. Uh, former NBA big man Scott Pollard uh, is needing a heart transplant due to a genetic condition, likely triggered by a recent viral illness uh, that he got within the last few years. Um, hmm. Read through the NBA's um, news. Uh, piece on this particular situation. Uh, Pollard talked about many family members, including his father um, and siblings have dealt with the same situation. A lot of it due to the fact that, you know, he he's aware his size and, and height that he was born with, you know, has been an advantage in terms of a basketball career and in other ways, but it can also be a detriment and, you know, realized early on that it, could likely be a limit to a longer lifespan. And he talked about that and, and this being one of those types of situations. Um, he's reportedly at university of Vanderbilt uh, or Vanderbilt university. I mean, um, and the outlook right now is that he will hopefully be able to receive uh, a heart within weeks uh, versus months um, but it is tricky. Of course, they need a heart that's going to be compatible with a man of his size. So, uh, again, definitely wishing him the best there. Hopefully, they're able to find um, a, a viable heart soon. Um, and you know, he was a he was a solid big. He, he played on some some great teams, won a championship in '08 with the Celtics, I believe, uh, or at least was on the Celtics around that time. Uh, played on some great teams. Um, was a solid pro. Uh, a pretty great person all around. So we want to wish him the best there. Finally, we have some 
concrete updates on a lot of the details for All-Star Weekend um, coming up next weekend, of course, uh, the weekend following the Super Bowl, starting with the uh, Ruffles Celebrity Game rosters and coaches announced. Um, Let me see if I can comb through and find all of this for you here. Uh, All-Star Game players, uh, Anwell, Double A, Connor Daly, Walker Hayes, I think he's the the one hit wonder country guy. Quincy Isaiah, Kai Senna, Micah Parsons, Jewel Lloyd, Lily Singh, Sir or S I R, Dylan Wing, Adam Blackstone, um, Natasha Cloud, uh, Jennifer Hudson, Tristan Jass, AJ McLean. Kwame Onwachi, uh, Meta World Peace, Jack Ryan, CJ Stroud, and Gianmarco Tamberi. Um, I apologize if I mispronounced a lot of those names. I'm just not as familiar. Um, of course, I know the NFL players. I know Micah Parsons and CJ Stroud. Um, Meta World Peace, I also know, of course. Um, that's the only other former NBA player I see. I, I thought they usually had one on each team. Um, some, excuse me, some WNBA players in there as well. Uh, some, some race car drivers. Um, looks like Connor Daly's an IndyCar driver. Uh, Lily Singh, YouTuber and uh, TV uh host at one point not sure if she still has that show uh tristan jass i think kind of more of an influencer um yeah i don't know it's interesting as far as coaching staff uh you have uh shannon sharp is the head coach uh, of one of the teams and then Stephen a smith another head coach and i believe i saw yeah there's assistant coaches there's uh little wayne the assistant coach for Stephen a Asia Wilson, assistant for Shannon Sharp. And I want to say they also met, uh, mentioned, yeah, 50, uh, 50 Cent is an assistant for uh, Shannon Sharp's team. And also, I thought I saw Peyton Manning at one point, um, but I'm not seeing that here. Um, so we'll see. Um, also, they announced performers for the different all-star festivities. Uh, all-star game halftime, Jennifer Hudson, who's also playing in the game. Um all-Star Game U.S. Anthem, Babyface. Um, All-Star Game Canadian Anthem, uh, Charlotte Carden. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar. Coco Jones, the uh, HBCU Classic National Anthem. Um, Keith Urban is doing an NBA crossover concert series. Um, Little Wayne is doing an NBA crossover concert series as well, as is T-Pain, Walker Hayes, um, Zed and uh, the All Star 2024 musical director is Adam Blackstone. So uh, there you go. There's all the details you could ever want as far as um, celebrity game and uh, performers. We also got the Panini Rising Stars game uh, participants drafted. Uh, team Detlef, Detlef Shrimp. Uh, coaching that team, that roster already all set. 
because it's all the G League players. Uh, Izan Almanza, uh, Matthias Buzelis, Ron Holland II, Mac McClung, Tyler Smith, Oscar Sashibwe, and Alondis Williams. Um, but the other three teams, Team Pau, Pau Gasol coaching that one, uh, Tamika Catchings coaching Team Tamika, and then Team Jalen, uh, Jalen Rose, the coach there. Their draft ended up as follows. First overall pick to Team Pau, Victor Wembanyama. And then uh, he also picked up Kaysen Wallace, Jabari Smith Jr., Bilal Kulabali, Jaime Hawkins Jr., Brandon Miller, and Brandon Pajemski. Team Tamika ended up with Paolo Bancaro, Dyson Daniels, Jalen Duran, Keontae George, Scoot Henderson, Jaden Ivey, and Keegan Murray. And then Team Jalen uh, got eight players, uh, one of them an injury replacement. They drafted Jordan Hawkins, Chet Holmgren, Walker Kessler, Derek Lively II, Benedict Matherin, Shaden Sharp, and Jalen Williams. But worth noting, Shaden Sharp uh, needing an injury replacement. He was replaced by Jeremy Sohan. So those are your Panini All-Star uh, or Rising Stars uh, draft drafted teams and players and, and where they'll be playing. Um, the All-Star Saturday night participants were announced as well. Um a lot of notable ones here. We'll start with the skills challenge. You'll have three teams, as has been the format in the last couple of years. On team Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, and Miles Turner. The team top picks, so number one overall picks, Paolo Bencaro, Anthony Edwards, and Victor Wembanyama. Interesting pairing. And then team all-stars, Scotty Barnes, Tyrese Maxey, and Trey Young. Uh, interesting to note there. We'll also mention, since it kind of did there, um, Trey Young and Scotty Barnes have been named injury replacements for Joel Embiid and Julius Randle uh, for the East for the All-Star game. So congratulations to both of them. Uh, they've had great seasons. Trey Young able to get in, and then Scotty Barnes, his first ever All-Star appearance. Um, next, your three-point contest, separate from the uh, Steph-Sabrina showdown that they're going to have as part of these festivities be your eight three-point contest contestants Malik Beasley and Damian Lillard of the Milwaukee Bucks Jalen Brunson of the New York Knicks Tyrese Halliburton of the Pacers Larry Markinen of the Jazz Donovan Mitchell of the Cavaliers Carl Anthony Towns of the Timberwolves and then Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks pretty great field I mean this one the three-point contest is the surefire all-star level talent competition uh, slam dunk is hit or miss year to year. Three-point contest is usually always a great show. Um, very excited for that. And then finally, your slam dunk contest participants. We have the returning champ, Mac McClung, this time representing the Magic or the Lakeland Magic. Uh, Jacob Toppin, who is with the Knicks, I believe, on a two-way deal right now. Um, but he is also the brother of Obi Toppin, the current Indiana Pacer. Uh, the rookie, Jaime Jaquez Jr. of the Miami Heat. And then... Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, the first all-star in the dunk contest since uh, as far back as 2017. Kind of a surprise that it's been that long, but great to see players like him stepping up to be in the contest when a lot of other all-star level players uh, just don't have the interest to be in it. So those are the remaining announcements for uh, the all-star competitions and field and all, you know, rising stars, everything that sets the table next week, of course, uh, after, you know, Monday through Thursday's games, we'll have a chance to relax a little bit, enjoy the festivities. Um, the following week, of course, we'll be off until that Wednesday, uh, and at which point we'll do our recap special 
for the All-Star Weekend. Um, but for now, let's go ahead and uh, move on from a lengthy game summary and news segment and jump into our latest franchise focus where we'll talk about uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So let's jump into that right now. Franchise focus. All right. This Timberwolves team, of course, we start with the current roster and the direction of the team going forward, and they're in a great spot. Last year around this point, or uh, whenever we did the Timberwolves franchise focus, I believe it would have been towards the end of the year, we would have been lamenting it as a bit of a lost season after a breakout 2022 campaign uh, where the Timberwolves went 46 and 36, uh, got back into the playoffs after a few years uh, of a hiatus and, you know, a first round exit, but they were still an exciting team and up and coming team. Then they swung the big trade to bring in Gobert, uh, send out draft capital and some of the depth. They brought in Mike Conley as well. Um, and it didn't pan out as well last season, 42 and 40. Uh, worst record, and they lost in the first round again. Seemed like a bit of a backward step, but this season seems to have paid off so far. The Timberwolves are winning nearly 70% of their games, uh, 36 and 16 so far this season. And um, we'll start with that that front court pairing because, again, it's unusual for the current NBA, um, at least in our perception. But I do feel like with recent seasons of Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic and even Giannis Antetokounmpo being MVP level players and seen as the top players in the league, younger guys coming in like uh, Wembenyama, Alperen Sengun, some other players. Um, and then the success of teams like the Thunder with Chet Holmgren uh, as a unique inside big and the Timberwolves now with the pairing of Gobert and Towns. I feel like, the big man is not quite as out of fashion as we might um, think just because the league still is also um, very three-point centric. But Townsend Gobert have worked very well as a pairing this season. Um, and it's what we could have hoped for last season. I mean, they've played um, 51 games together. Um, all of those they've started. Gobert. About 14 points, 12 boards, two blocks. That's kind of exactly where you need him to be. Efficient field goal, about 65% from the floor. And then Towns, an all-star again this season, 22.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, three assists with 44% three-point shooting. You know, he's stretching the floor, but he's getting you a lot of scoring outside of that. He's not your lead scorer, though. That's Anthony Edwards. About 26 points a game, five boards, five assists. I like this pairing, this big three is potent and they've been winning games and they have solid compliments. Of course, Mike Conley is a veteran point guard um, getting the job done. He's getting older, but he's still very productive and he's shooting well from three as well. Just about 45%. Jaden McDaniels is that fifth piece in the starting lineup. Um, still an interesting fit. You know, I kind of wonder if they would, uh, if it would behoove them to have just a touch more of a three point shooter, but he's still been effective. 37% from three, um, of course, good size and length and can hustle, kind of a glue piece there. And then off the bench, starts with Nas Reed. I've talked a lot about how much I love Nas Reed. 41% as a, a combo power forward center type player. Uh, points, boards, assists, 
defensively, especially he gets it done in those minutes. In 22 minutes a game, he's averaging nearly a steal and a block per game, uh, 0.7 steals, 0.8 blocks. Uh, like his impact a lot. Then you've got a great veteran in Kyle Anderson. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a, a versatile guard who can who can fill roles for you. Um, and then, of course, they've recently traded Milton and Brown, um, Troy Brown Jr., to the Pistons to bring in Monte Morris, who now has a chance to be their backup point guard. Um, so I think they've got a, a great mix here. They're not super deep, but they've got, you know, some great bench pieces. And Nas Reed is a stellar bench piece to have. Gives you a lot of flexibility in that front court. I think maybe they could look at the bio market to strengthen their their team a little bit. But they've been great. And credit to Chris Finch for the job he's done. Of course, he'll be the Western Conference All-Star head coach. And also Tim Connolly, uh, their GM at the moment. He was the GM in Denver for a very long time. Um helped to build the nuggets into what they are. And now in Minnesota is doing some of those same types of things. Uh, so very impressive stuff. Worth not, I, I don't know. Was he the full on GM in Denver? I feel like I didn't hear this name as much as I should have. Um, he was, yeah, he was the president uh, for the nuggets as they built the full, pretty much the full, championship squad left the season before they actually won the championship is still very impressive. Now he's looking to do similar types of things in Minnesota and he's got good returns so far. Um, really as far as the outlook, um, I think Tim Rolls fans should look for Anthony Edwards to continue to raise his level of play even a little bit more. I feel like he hasn't quite reached his ceiling yet. Um, Towns and Gobert staying solid and then just continuing to refine the, the team and the players around them, make sure they have quality depth and they should be good, you know, and especially where the Western conference has opened up a little bit, golden state struggling Los Angeles and on and again, off again, team, the, the Lakers, that is the Clippers have taken their spot. Um, but the door is a lot more open. And even though Phoenix is starting to turn it on and Phoenix and, and LA, the Clippers are a little more star studded um, and especially a little more experienced. Um, Timberwolves should be right there along with their other counterpart, the Oklahoma city thunder in terms of young teams and recent success, they should be right there. You know, if you're a Timberwolves fan, I don't see any reason to, to not feel like they could go as far as a Western conference finals, you know, I think that's a very feasible goal for them um, based on the season and the makeup of the roster and what they've put together. They're in a great spot. And it's great to see this. Of course, the Timberwolves in their history have been a, a losing team more often than not. Uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, they made eight straight playoff appearances, lost in the first round all, all those years except one. But they had you know, one of the all-time great talents and players really in Kevin Garnett. Um, but for those teams, the team that gets talked about most, the most with the Timberwolves in their history, their greatest team is the 04 team. And we'll talk about them perhaps some point in the future. But for now, I wanted to go with, I thought it'd be fun to talk about their first ever playoff team, um, which was 
their eighth season of existence, the 1996-1997 Minnesota Timberwolves, a team that uh, was one game shy of a, a 500 record, 40 and 42. Head coach Flip Saunders, legendary in the Timberwolves organizational history, um, swept in the first round by a Rockets team that was still uh, pretty star-studded, a team that would narrowly lose in the conference finals to the Utah Jazz um, on a iconic John Stockton game winner. But this Timberwolves team was up and coming. Garnett was still a, a very young player, 20 years old, um, starting to come into his own, not even the lead scorer. That was Tom Gugliotta, um, who we talked about last season, actually, as our franchise legend. Um, kind of a tweener, small forward, power forward, um, who could just put points on the board and rebound. And then they had a young Stefan Marbury, his rookie season, Stefan Marbury, um, showing already they had the chance to be a future all-star. And it would be interesting to see if Marbury was kept alongside Garnett, if they would have been able to find similar success as far as a conference final at some point in their career, if they would have been better, if they would have been worse, it's hard to really say, but um, that's, that's a solid pairing. And that was a great group to get them to their first ever playoffs. Outside of that, they had the experienced Sam Mitchell, um, who's a key part of the Timberwolves history as well, an early veteran presence in that locker room. Um, Doug West starting at shooting guard. Uh, Terry Porter, a veteran point guard. You know, um, from there, it gets a little bit thinner as far as names that are going to be easily recognizable. They had Cherokee Parks. If you're a Duke basketball fan, you'll know Cherokee Parks. Of course, the the big man that followed in the footsteps of Christian Leitner. Um, but he was a decent pro in his own right. Um, and then from there, not a ton of names that you'll know. Uh, Australian basketball fans will probably know Shane Heal, um, one of the early Australian pros. But still, I, I just thought it was fun to reflect on on this team um, and these early players you know, and give them their props for getting the Timberwolves into the playoffs for the first time. This was also their first season that they had the iconic uh, tree-lined uniforms, the trees on the the striping of the the shoulders and the waistband and such, um, along with a much more aggressive and admittedly 90s-type font. Um, But those are the uniforms when you think of of Kevin Garnett – and the the best Timberwolves teams again that 04 team uh it's those uniforms and then peak of their franchise history thus far um we'll see if this current team has a chance to match that um but that's the historic team I wanted to talk about very very briefly um as far as a key player we're going with someone a little bit uh greater impact than Gugliotta even though Gugliotta was a solid player for the Timberwolves we're going to talk Kevin Love and I think we forget how incredible Kevin Love was in his run in Minnesota. In my mind, I kind of think of him as really the last um, in a class, you know, him, Dwight Howard, and Andre Drummond are the recent guys I think of as truly dominant rebounders. Um, You know, there's solid rebounders still. Gobert, we mentioned, of course. Um, You know, Miles Turner is in there. Um, there's Jokic is always getting a good amount of rebounds. Um, there's still productive rebounders, but with guys like Love and Howard, these are guys that could get you, you know, Drummond, 
13, 14, 15 rebounds a game, which I think is where you start to get into truly dominant rebounding territory. And Love in 2011, um, most improved player, 15 rebounds a game that year. Um, and he would you know, go back and forth in his rebounding production from that point. Uh, in Minnesota, uh, apart from his rookie year, he never averaged less than 11 in a season. Um, in the 2012 season and the 2014 season, averaged 26 points a game on 37% shooting from three. I mean, his whole, his averages from his Minnesota run, um, about 20 points a game, 12 rebounds, and 36% three-point shooting. Um, And that's including a rookie year where he barely shot the three at all. Um, Just dominant. And I was looking back at some of the highlights. You know, he's hitting, um, (laughs) fading threes to win games. He's eating up rebounds left and right. He had, you know, 20 rebounds in, in many games, 31 rebounds um, in, I believe, you know, probably like the 2014 season, or maybe it was even, uh, no, it was 2010. It was actually very early in his career. Um, yeah, you look at all his top rebounding performances, all but one of them, as far as 20-plus rebounds, came in Minnesota. He, he grabbed 20 boards one time in Cleveland uh, as recently as 2019. Otherwise, he had 20 boards three times, 21 rebounds six times, 22 three times. A couple times he grabbed 23. You grabbed 24 rebounds three times, and then the 31 rebound game. Just dominant. 12 offensive rebounds in that 31 rebound game. Um <laughs> Like, I don't know, I, I can't quite overstate it, I don't think, as far as the dominance on the rebounding. But again, you compare that with three-point shooting, um, just slightly ahead of the curve in terms of the real Vogue, in Vogue three-point shooting stretch four. 2014, he was shooting like six and a half threes a game. Um, <clears throat> it gets really forgotten because Minnesota was not a great team at all, but... He was in an MVP conversation. He finished as high as sixth in MVP voting in 2012. Um, Multiple-time All-Star in Minnesota. Most improved player. Um, I mean, just incredible. And it it gets forgotten because Minnesota was not really winning at all. Um, And it's a shame, and I just wish that we could um, appreciate that more. Of course, he then went on to Cleveland and the the big shakeup of the 2014 offseason that paired LeBron and Kyrie with Kevin Love. And from there went on to win the championship in 2016. Um was still a multi-time all-star in Cleveland. Part of that big three was still a very productive player. Uh averaged 11 rebounds still in 2017. But um when you're talking about how incredible he was in Minnesota, it just gets forgotten. You know, and I feel like it's a shame. You know, he was incredible, not only as a rebounder, but as a lead guy. I mean, he was elite um, in his Minnesota years. So that's my uh, quick take on Kevin Love. And that is our little bit more brief franchise focus for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So with that, let's go ahead and shift back into uh, the fantasy picture. We haven't talked about this uh, for a little while, uh, but our Fantasy Fridays segment.
All right, we have a couple of picks uh, for some movers in the fantasy space. Firstly, though, I'd like to um, check in on my team. Um, I feel like my team has done okay-ish at times. Um, right now, we're seven and eight, so just below five hundred, which again is fifth best out of eight teams total. Um, we already have one team that's clinched the playoffs and one team that's been eliminated from playoff contention, which is wild because we still have a lot of weeks to go. Um, but then again, this schedule probably playoff starts. Um, yeah, it's going to start mid-March, it looks like. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so that makes a little more sense. Um, but yeah, 7 and 8 trailing in the league a little bit. I made some roster shakeups. I think I've already talked about them. I made one or two more recently. Actually, no, it was just those same moves. But again, I haven't done the greatest job of updating my rosters day to day. Um, I am leading this week's matchup. So I think I have a chance to return to 500. We'll see if that happens. Um, otherwise, let's just real quick talk about some movers. Uh, a riser had to go with Miles Bridges. I mean, of course, the career high is a big part of that, but the scoring is up, his assists are up, and he's shooting more efficiently, uh, especially with the trade rumors uh, qualmed for the moment, him being in Charlotte for the remainder of the season and continuing to have a chance to be a focal point. Uh, look for him to potentially have some more high-octane offense uh, in the coming weeks. Um a follower, I went with Damian Lillard. Um, scoring is down despite percentages not really being down, which is interesting. You know, taking less shots perhaps could be, you know, a, a knock against this as a pick for a follower, or it could be, you know, confirming it, depending on which way you want to look at it. Assists slightly down, turnovers up. Um, it's more just the concerns with the Bucks as a whole, you know, losing the, the losses they've had over the last week or so, you know, are against good teams. So you can't really fault it too much, but it's just a weird, weird situation. The doc rivers thing, um, bringing him in and they've been maybe even worse record wise since they brought him in, but I, you can't, you can't blame him quite yet because he's still getting acclimated to the team. How, how does that impact the team trying to compete in the playoffs long-term with a mid season coaching change, you know, it's happened in the past. It's worked in the past, but um, still it's, you know, um, it, it remains to be seen, but I think with Milwaukee, there's a lot of trepidation. And so I'd have Lillard there. And then a sleeper, I went with Aaron Neesmith. Um, this is definitely for um, a person or a, a team that's in a, a bigger fantasy league where you're going to need to fill rosters with, you know, deeper and deeper cuts. But Neesmith has been a quality starter, I like the fit alongside the rest of the Indiana players. Um, he may, I think he'll still be starting. Um, depends on who they kind of fit with the shooting guard and how they structure that lineup with healed gone. But he's been averaging uh, four points more per game, uh, two more rebounds and his field goal percentage is up. Um, I like Neesmith's efficiency along with his defensive hustle. Um, he's finding a great role and a home perhaps in Indiana. And so I like Neesmith and his impact uh, with the Pacers. So those are my picks. Again, kind of uneducated in terms of, you know, what to expect week to week in fantasy. Um, 
But for now, let's actually just jump back to uh, checking in on weekly predictions. Because as we mentioned, we had a lot of weekly predictions about trade deadline stuff. And I wanted to go back and see which of those ended up being accurate, um, which were a little bit off the mark. Firstly, weekly prediction week three, I did call Scotty Barnes technically making an all-star team. The second half of that prediction for him being in the defensive player of the year voting uh, remains to be determined, I suppose. Um, But just had to point that one out. Um, I was definitely wrong, though, about Kyle Kuzma. I predicted that he would be involved in a surprise trade before the deadline. Didn't happen. Uh, My bad on that one. Um, What else do we have? Uh, That was a Keontae George Ricky prediction. Uh, Wyatt predicting the Warriors making a big splash, trading one of the original three stars. That didn't quite happen. Their only transaction was trading away Corey Joseph. Uh, So not quite. Uh, For this Detroit one for week 10, I was kind of half right maybe. Cade Cunningham will become a trade target. He might have, you know, may have been part of calls, but I wouldn't even call, you know, count that one. Um, but the Pistons will trade multiple players at the deadline. Boy, did they! You know, seven or eight players moved to bring in seven or eight different players. Um, you know, not too far for sure on that one. Definitely got partial credit, I would say. Um, and then that might have been one of our last trade deadline predictions, really. Um, I'm trying to comb through, see if we had any others. No, I believe that was it. Uh, So overall mixed. Um, Again, with the trade deadline, it's hard to fully predict. Of course, a lot of people would have predicted DeJounte Murray moving, the Lakers making at least some kind of move. Neither of those happened. So it was a big surprise. Um, We'll continue to check in on predictions when relevant in the future. But for now, let's get things wrapped up, started with our weekend forecast. Uh, All the times that I'll give for these games are in Eastern Standard Time, so keep that in mind as you're planning your schedules around any potential games. Here we go. Start with Saturday, 11 games total, two national broadcasts on NBA TV at 3 o'clock. The uh, Oklahoma City Thunder travel to Dallas to face off against the Mavericks, and then on ABC at 8.30, the Golden State Warriors host the Phoenix Suns, of course, Curry and Durant, uh, as well as Draymond and Clay, <clears throat> always an intriguing storyline. Um, the Suns better off right now than the Warriors. Both teams looking to gain momentum even further. Warriors, small momentum recently. Suns, much better momentum. Uh, should be a good one. But also Thunder Mavs, I think, could be uh, very intriguing. Your remaining games at 3.30, Clippers host the Pistons. At 6 o'clock, the Nets host the Spurs. Three games at 7, Sixers at Wizards, Bulls at Magic, and then Grizzlies at Hornets. Three games at 7.30, the Cleveland Cavaliers in Toronto against the Raptors, the Pacers uh, in the Garden against the Knicks, and then the Rockets in Atlanta against the Hawks. Finally, at 10 o'clock, the Trailblazers host the Pelicans. Busy Saturday night, followed by a light Sunday in wake of the Super Bowl. Uh, one national broadcast on ABC at 2 o'clock preceding the Super Bowl. Uh, the Miami Heat will host the Boston Celtics. And then another game at 3 o'clock, the Oklahoma City Thunder will host the Sacramento Kings. So again, light Sunday. And then finally on Monday, back with 10 games, two national broadcasts. 
both on NBA TV. At 8 o'clock, the Milwaukee Bucks host the Denver Nuggets. And then at 10.30, the LA Clippers host the Minnesota Timberwolves. That one should be one of the top matchups to watch for this weekend. Timberwolves, Clippers, two of the top teams in the Western Conference. The remaining games at 7, two games at 7, Sixers in Cleveland against the Cavaliers, and then Pacers at Hornets. Two games at 7.30, Raptors host the Spurs, Hawks host the Bulls. Two games at 8 o'clock, the Grizzlies host the Pelicans, the Rockets host the Knicks. At 8.30, Wizards are in Dallas against the Mavs. And then finally at 9 o'clock, the Utah Jazz hosts the Golden State Warriors. Uh, that game is available to stream on Jazz Plus as well as K-Jazz on your local Utah cable networks. So a lot of good games there. Um, Knicks Pacers on Saturday night is a bit of a sleeper. But again, Timberwolves Clippers, I think, on Monday uh, could be a, a, a great game to watch out for with their standing in the Western Conference. So um, otherwise, we'll wrap things up with our This Day in History fact for you. We're going back to 1991, February 9th of 1991. Craig Hodges of the Chicago Bulls set an all-star Saturday record in Charlotte by hitting 19 straight shots in the AT&T shootout. That streak, which helped Hodges capture his second straight shootout title, broke Larry Bird's consecutive shot streak of 11, set in 1986. So iconic performance by Craig Hodges, one of the early teammates on the early championship teams uh, of Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls. So with that, that takes care of our show. Thank you again for listening. Also, thanks for being patient with me. While my throat uh, continues to be problematic, um, still trying to get down to exactly what the issue is. Um, Took antibiotics, seemingly got better from that, from what I thought was strep throat. Now wondering if there was perhaps an additional thing that's been going on. Um, hard to say for sure. Picked up some new uh, just over-the-counter medication to try and um, help with some of these symptoms. But for now, we'll sign off. We'll be back on Monday with pretty much our normal Monday show. Uh, no Wednesday show. And then back on Friday as well. So thanks again for listening. And we'll be back with you on Monday.